This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to a brand new edition of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am back. Yes, your host, LaChina Robinson, is in the host seat this week, so Tarika can stop being dramatic. Oh, my gosh. She does exist. Look at this. Look at this. I didn't come here for all this shaming, okay? And just to set the record straight, I was not here not because I was too busy. Thank you very much, Sharika. But as many of you know, we like to get diversity in the voices on our podcast. And quite frankly, after a zillion episodes in 2020, I'm sure you were tired of hearing from me. So big shout out to everyone that filled in to host all of our guests while I've been away. I've enjoyed kicking back and listening to Around the Rim, you know, other than the parts where Tarika starts to talk. But um, just want to send some love to everyone. The episodes have been great. If you have not checked them out, please do. Um, we had a great roundtable with Debbie and Michelle Vopel and Christy Winter-Scott, um, Carolyn Peck, uh, Tiffany Green. We had uh, Megan McPeak had an amazing conversation with Chastity Melvin and Jordan Canada. Like we've had all kinds of great things happening on the show, so go back and listen to those episodes. But today, it's time for the WNBA playoff semifinals. And it's weird because I wouldn't normally say today's game two-day, today's game three-day, but because we had the Seattle Lynx and excuse me, the Seattle Storm and Minnesota Lynx game postponed, they're on the second game of their series while Vegas and Connecticut are on the third. Very weird. Long story short, we want you to sit back, relax, and listen to this um, kind of preview, kind of post view of what we've seen so far in the semifinals. Joining Tarika and I is Chantel Jennings of The Athletic. And yeah, send us your thoughts, at, as always, at Around the Rim Pod on Twitter. Uh, we are at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. I am at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. Tarika is at SheKnowSports underscore. And, yeah, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the playoffs. All right, basketball fans. So joining us on the podcast, we have Chantel Jennings of The Athletic. Um, we're super excited to have her here, especially since this is her first year covering the WNBA. Chantel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. I, I was telling LaChina before we started, I've listened to you guys. So it's awesome to, uh, having listened to you guys this season, to now be on the podcast with you. So thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. We're super excited about it. Um, before we get started, give us a little bit of background about you. Um, how long have you been um, working for The Athletic? Just kind of take us through um, where, where you started and where, and where you are. So I've been covering sports for 10 years. I actually started at ESPN. I was there for six or seven years covering college football. Um, moved over to The Athletic in 2017, covered college football for them for two seasons. And then last year, I actually spent a sabbatical year at the University of Michigan studying college media, uh, kind of random for a sports writer to move into that, but kind of looking at ways to make college newsrooms more sustainable and more equitable for the future. And then came back and now covering the WNBA for The Athletic. LaChina, I'm already about to hang up the podcast because she's at University of Michigan. You know how I thought Michigan State. So. Yeah, that is not a good word to say around Tarika. She is crazy about her Spartans, but we are so excited to have you. And, um, you know, we've enjoyed a lot of your articles and writings this season. Um, welcome to the WNBA family. 
Thank you so much. Well, I'll say this about my experience in Michigan, and maybe this will make you feel happier. I was there for like the four worst seasons of athletic history. My first game as a student was the football loss to Appalachian State. My last game was Rich Rod's last game when they lost to Mississippi State. And so you can, you know, take joy in the fact that my four years there did not uh, include a whole lot of athletic accomplishment from the Wolverines. That was fate. Fate was telling you, you were in the wrong part of the state. I got it. I love it. <laughs> That's all she needs to hear. Now she's fine. Now I'm good. Now I'm good. Well, ladies, a lot has happened um, since we've all convened um, to, for, for a podcast. And just to let you guys know, um, we had some announcements today. So the WNBA announced two more of our season award winners. Um, as previously mentioned, um, we had already known who our MVP was, which was announced last week, which was uh, Asia Wilson. Coach of the Year um, honors had gone to Cheryl Reeve. Um, we've also announced the, who else, who am I missing? Rookie of the Year, Crystal Dangerfield. Um, and so today they, uh, oh, and Dierica Hamby, Sixth Women of the Year. I think we all kind of knew she was going to get that. Um, but today we have announced the Defensive Player of the Year, which uh, goes to Candace Parker, and also the Most Improved Player, uh, which goes to Benija Laney down in Atlanta. And ladies, these announcements have come with some debate. There are some people on the social media world who have uh, really questioned whether or not these were deserving. So, um, LaChina, I'll start with you. When you think Defensive Player of the Year, um, are you here for Candace Parker receiving that award, or was there someone else that uh, maybe felt not necessarily more deserving, but that you thought would maybe be a little bit more considered? Well, first I'll say that it's good that there's debate. You don't ever want there, well, I won't say ever, for there to just be this unity amongst debate discussions, but it just makes it fun, right? And mm -hmm. the great thing about the game of basketball is that we all see it through a different lens. And when it comes to awards and what we think is most valuable or what we think a great defensive player is, it's all just subjective. And um, that's kind of the fun of what we do as analysts and um, you know, as writers, I know Chantel can agree, Tarika, you know, we like to go back and forth and kind of talk about all the things. Does Defensive Player of the Year going to Candace Parker surprise me? No. She was actually my vote for about 90% of the year. Uh, it wasn't until the last 10% that I actually changed my Defensive Player of the Year vote and gave it to Brianna Turner. And let me tell you why. When I looked at some of the candidates, Candace Parker included, Alicia Clark, Alyssa Thomas, those are all players that play on, on teams that have several members on their team that have all defensive accolades in the WNBA. Now, that that's not the thing that necessarily counts against them. But as we heard Candace Parker talk about today in her acceptance press conference, that when you play on a team with other great defenders, it does lighten the load in terms of your work and, and them getting in the passing lanes. And, you know, if your player does cut back door, they've got you on help, even in a one-on-one -on -one assignment. So that stood out to me as something that was interesting to start, but then maybe start to lean towards Brianna Turner. Phoenix does not have a defensive reputation. Let's just be honest. Outside of Brittany Griner, who we know is outstanding on the defensive end. This is not a team that when you first think about Phoenix, you think about their defense, you think about their offense. And that's fine with me. I mean, I'll, I'll take Diana Tarazi, Skyler Diggins-Smith, Rhea Hartley. I'm here for it. 
But the job that Breonna Turner did defensively once Brittany Griner uh, left the bubble is, is just tremendous. Looking at the numbers of where Phoenix was defensively at the end of the year, being one of the best teams in the league, field goal percentage defense, you know, she maybe not is top 10 in terms of defensive ratings, but right up there in terms of blocks, um, you know, as you watch the game, like I believe a lot in the eye test, you could just see how important she was in help situations. She was switching defensively onto Crystal Dangerfield and containing her at 6'3". I just felt like her ability to get out and contest shots, how she would, you know, run the floor to get back in defensive position, a lot of little things without a lot of help. So I would just say that I'm okay. I'm totally okay with Candace Parker giving the defensive player of the year. Any one of those players, Alyssa Thomas, would have been like, okay, you know, how can you argue it? But Turner, to me, ended up getting it because of the difference she made in the actions of Brittany Griner, how good Phoenix was after Brittany Griner left was, was not expected, and then just what she did individually, defensively, to help that team down the stretch. Chantel? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of Breezy. Like, Diana Taurasi was talking earlier this season about how before every game she says to her, you know, just go be a problem. Just be a problem out there. And I thought that's exactly what she was. You watched her play, and for every offense she she took on, she was just a massive problem. And this is a team that isn't exactly known for having a lot of problems, in a good way, on their defense. Um, and similar to you, LaChina, I also was sort of – on board for Candace Parker most of the season. And I think, you know, Derek Fisher talked about this, that no matter who wins MVP, no matter who wins these awards, there's so much talent in this league that it really can go to so many people. And I think when we talk about the word valuable, there's not a straight definition, right? Like you, how are we gauging valuable? How are we defining valuable? Um, because you know, you can make a lot of arguments for a lot of these different awards when you talk about value, like Courtney Vandersloot. How is she not considered the most valuable player when she's dishing out 10 assists a game, right? This is something no player in the WNBA has ever done. And yet she finished fourth, I believe, in MVP voting. And so I think that part makes it very difficult. Um, but in terms of defensive player of the year, I'm with you 100%. I was, I was thinking that Candace totally does deserves this. My vote was actually for AC. I think the hard part for any player on the Storm team, because they are so stacked defensively, people like AC sort of get overlooked in terms of saying, oh, well, but she has so much help. You know, look who's around her. But when you talk about the eye test, she just puts herself in position to make plays and stuff that maybe isn't going to end up in the stat line, but just deflected balls. Her rebound the other night is a perfect example. It was obviously on the offensive side, but just you know, she's really good at putting herself in a position to help her team. Yeah, I agree with both of you, to be completely honest, with the exception that I would have leaned more towards Alyssa Thomas. And I know people will think that it's because I favor the sun, but realistically, I just kind of look at it more so as, yeah, you may be on a team that has um, a lot of defensive presence and a lot of defensive help, but you're that person that actually kind of leads that charge. Like, I think that she sets a tone for the Connecticut Sun defensively that, um, that helps to make them an overall strong and solid defensive team. And for me, I also think that the team that you plays on plays a role in these voting for various categories as well, simply because if you're a team that starts off the season 0-5 versus a team that may start off the season, you know, 3-2, and two, it's very different how they're going to perceive your value 
um, to that team more so than 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 in a in a, an additional situation. So I totally get it. Um, but before I move on, we also have to just quickly discuss uh, Benigel Laney and what she did this year with Atlanta. I mean. I did not expect her to come out and say, hey, guys, I'm here. It was like, basically, you remember the song by Diana Ross, I'm Coming Out? That's like, that's when I, that was her this year. She came out. So, yes, absolutely. So, LaChina, like, what are your thoughts on her uh, winning the most improved player? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally here for it. Like, she's been my winner pretty much all season. And to me, the sticking point was getting cut coming into the season like to go from zero to a hundred and what a hundred was for Belagelani is that at times this season she was unguardable um you know her three-point shot her pull-up jumper her passing ability I mean there were some games where she was in double figures but also had six seven eight assists so to go from hey you're not even good enough to be in this league to now you are like killing teams I, I don't even know what it took for her to get her mind there but so much respect to Benajelani, a player that, you know, teams had not really played for her jump shot previously, was known for her defense, has been through a tough injury. Like, I just love a great underdog story. Now, there are a lot of other great candidates. Micah Hines-Allen, it was hard not to give it to her. I mean, she had an outstanding year. And if I went back and, you know, looked game, 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 you know, her and Benajelani tick for tat, okay, maybe they would have come out even. Maybe Maisha would have won it. But – um, I just feel like Heinz Allen just didn't get the opportunity prior to, right? Like it wasn't that her game necessarily elevated, which it did, but she also hadn't really shown us what she was capable of. We thought we knew what Benajah Lady was capable of, and she took it to a whole nother level. Um, Bree Jones, K- Kalia Copper, so many great candidates, but I, I, to me, Benajah Lady getting cut, that did it for me. Well, I think, I think Maisha Hines-On and Benaiah Shalini both got opportunities kind of in different ways, right? Like, Maisha was just behind so many other talented players. Benaiah got cut, shows up to Atlanta, and Nikki Collin is like, you get that the scouting report on you is that you can't shoot the ball. Like, you're not a shooter. People are supposed to go under screens. No one's worried about you. Don't worry about the closeout situation because Laney's not going to hit shots. Um, I think the two of them that's another one where you couldn't have gone wrong. I'm glad there's debate. It means that people are interested in the league. It means that the quality of play in the league is rising. So I think it's a really good thing. I thought Maisha Hines-Allen, sort of what she did at the end of the season to help lead the Mystics into the playoff was really, really impressive. Um, But Laney sort of, and this is also an Atlanta dream team that didn't get to practice as a team this season because people came into the bubble late. They had positive COVID results uh, before they got to the bubble. Kennedy, Carter went down with an injury like she improved this much in a season in which her team didn't even really get to practice I thought um as a writer as a future writer you literally can't come up with a story like that it, it just happens it was so impressive I mean I will say to your point Chantel I, I started to look at like assist numbers when I get petty in awards I get down to some numbers to say okay well Maisha Hines-Allen's team is a better passing team which means a lot of her baskets were on fall reversal Good, good extra passes. I felt like Lady had to work for every bucket. Like she literally had to create her all offense. So I'm just gonna throw that in there too. 
I love that that's your basketball petty, turning to assist numbers. How yeah, about? yeah, that's my basketball petty. Like, okay, let's see. Let's go down team assist and see what I can, what I can be petty about in this moment. Yeah, that's totally me. That's hilarious. Well, big congratulations to all of the WNBA season award winners. It has been an interesting season indeed. And so just to even be um, in that situation to be considered, let alone a winner in 2020, the year of who knows what's going to happen next, um, it's definitely worth celebrating. So congrats to all of them. And now I guess we're ready to move on and talk about the semifinals. I'm just trying to hurry up and talk about Connecticut, y'all. Y'all know that. So, uh, <laughs> um, it's been an interesting series. Game one, um, we didn't know what Las Vegas team showed up. I didn't know what Las Vegas team showed up. I don't think they knew what Las Vegas team showed up. And then game two, um, we had the scare of our lives with Alyssa Thomas going down in the first five minutes, missing the rest of the game and wondering how in the world is Connecticut going to adjust. So uh, Chantel, with this series now tied at one apiece, um, what are your overall thoughts of the of the first uh, two matchups between these teams? You know, I think I'm totally with you in terms of that first Las Vegas team that showed up that just looked unrecognizable. Um, I uh, like who was that team? That wasn't anything that we've seen this season, even in the thought. Like, like we've talked a lot about rest versus rust, sort of in this postseason for the teams that have a break. You know, even Sandy Brondello said three days was too long of a break for the Mercury. And so then you think, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, it was definitely rust. Like, they were, I think Bill Dambier said they were running in mud, basically, and that's what it looked like. And I think what was really interesting about that game, too, is that you saw how getting down mentally affected the team. Like, Asia Wilson and Angel McCautry getting back slow on defense, which that's something you worry about seeing because that means that, you know, it's not on to the next play immediately. Like there was something going on. And so that was most surprising to me. I, I actually expected, I predicted that uh, they were going to lose the first game. I thought that Connecticut would come out sort of having had the momentum win the first game and that Las Vegas would regroup and come back, which they did second half of the second game and pull it together. But um, yeah, the China, I was just so surprised to see that team look that way in game one. Yeah, uh, I still don't know that we've seen Vegas, to be honest with you. Like, they kind of barely made it even out of game two when you think about it. Like, Asia Wilson hadn't turned on late. I'm thinking, okay, Alyssa Thomas goes down. This is about to be Vegas's party, right? They're just going to take all this. We never saw it. It never happened. Um, you know, Derek and Hamby still isn't back to what we're used to seeing from her. Angel McCautry, still not back to really what we're used to seeing from her. Thank God for Asia Wilson. But um, I will say that I wasn't surprised by the way Connecticut played. See, and I referenced this on Twitter, um, you know, back when, when playoffs first started, the way the Connecticut was playing. They remind me of the 2012 Indiana Fever. And that was a team that just defensively was tough, gritty, just refused to be denied. Maybe not on paper as talented offensively, but they had the ability to really disrupt what you wanted to do on the offensive end, which can get into a team's head. And that's what I thought Connecticut did so well. Not to take it, let me, let me just say this, because I was not the disrespect CT. I definitely picked Connecticut to make it to the semifinals, even though it looked different than what I thought based on seeding. But long story short, don't come at me with that. I'm not saying it's about what Vegas did not do. Connecticut did a lot of really good things. 
But what I thought was really the difference maker is that Connecticut hit shots. I think it's only been three games this entire season where Connecticut has shot 50% or better from the field, including that game where Jasmine Thomas went off. When you're hitting shots, you can get back and set up your defense. You can get your matchups the way you want them. I thought that Vegas's biggest problem was their defense. Not that they weren't doing, you know, the things that we're used to in terms of getting to the free throw line. All that should happen, but it happens as a result of their ability to get stops. And when a player like Jasmine Thomas starts to go off, you need a ringer. You need a player that you could say, okay, your job is to get in the game right now. Whatever you have to do, you slow her down, right? I don't feel like Bill Lambeer ever adjusted at all on Jasmine Thomas. Um, and I just thought that that's what really started to bleed into Vegas' psyche. And, you know, I agree with you, Chantel. Never saw Vegas coming out like this. It does happen to the best of them. It has happened to every hired – every team that's gotten rest so far has not like, looked like themselves. Seattle did not look like themselves. Vegas didn't look like themselves. Like, let's be honest, nobody really did out the gates. Minnesota. So, I'm okay with that trend. My concern is that we still have not seen the Las Vegas Aces in the playoffs. Well and to add to your point, you kind of look at the teams that Las Vegas has lost to this season, right? They lost five games, two to Phoenix, two to Chicago, and this last one to Connecticut. Those are three teams that are different, have different personnel. The one common thread between those five losses is that all three of those teams, I think their effective field goal percentage was above 52%. You beat Las Vegas by shooting the ball really, really well. Yeah. And by by just taking advantage of that. And so, you know, I think a lot of people right now are sort of doom and gloom, whether, whether AT's out or not, we don't know exactly, but um, if this team can shoot the ball really, really well, they're in this, that other teams have, it's the aces aren't unbeatable. You beat them by shooting really, really well and really, really efficiently. Yeah. No so with that being said, knowing that, you know, Dewana Bonner has been leading this team in scoring uh, even game two, um, Breon January, you know, contributed 20 points. So they've been getting some assistance, even with Alyssa Thomas being out. And from what, you know, we've seen today, she's listed as questionable. Like, talk about toughness. The, the girls just will not not play, right? So she's listed as questionable. Um, we usually ask heading into the next game, which is game three, you know, what adjustments do, you know, each team need to make heading into game three? So... One of the things that I think Connecticut will do better in this game is limiting their turnovers. That, to me, was under their control. That was the biggest number that stood out to me from, from game two. And I'm looking for um, the stats here in terms of points off turnovers. But even in the late possessions for Connecticut, it was turnover, turnover, right? And you're, you're going to get beat if you're not valuing the possession. And I thought that really hurt them. That's something they control. So that's good. I thought that that happened because they're used to running so much of their offense through Alyssa. And it was hard for them to get a grip on, okay, where do we go late game? What are we trying to do without Alyssa Thomas? Who, whether she touches the ball or not, she forces the defense to have to make a decision. So that made those late game possessions tough. Don't turn the ball over Connecticut's son. Connecticut also has to do a better job on Asia Wilson. Um, I think Beatrice Montpremier has been fantastic in the moment she's played. Brianna Jones has tried to do her thing. I don't know what the answer is because that's why she's the MVP, but you got to slow her down. Like you either try to keep her from catching it, you know, commit another defender. I mean, Vegas is not a great outside shooting team. I, I don't know how you want to do the rotations and what you can do there, but she's going to single-handedly win this series. If 
if Connecticut can't find a way to slow her down. Obviously, last game they were without Alyssa Thomas, so that makes a difference. It could make a difference moving forward. For Vegas, they have to play with the tenacity, with the reckless abandon that we've seen all regular season. Like, part of the reason why Vegas had a, had a great year is because they were just outworking teams. Dierica Hamby, Angel McCautry, like that energy that they can play with on the glass, on loose balls, um, you know, in transition, just getting to the rim. Like that level of aggressiveness and assuredness has to be there for Vegas. I also like the adjustment by Bill Lambeer of starting Danielle Robinson. Thought it was a great decision. Danielle did get in foul trouble. I think she picked up like three fouls in the first half. Can't do that. But that hopefully will keep Vegas in the pace that they need to play with in order to have success. So those are a couple of adjustments that I think can and probably will be made. I think I, this is so – there was all this debate over players, but now I completely agree with you about these, these matchups going into the – I guess it's now the third game. You know, I think this Aces team, there was a clip of Kayla McBride getting an and one and she hits the floor and she says, let's effing go or something like that. And I looked at her in that moment and I thought like, if the Aces play with that energy, if that version of the Aces shows up with that fire and that fight, like who can stay with them? But the problem is they haven't. And I don't know... I don't, I don't understand. I've never been a professional athlete before. So I don't know if that's mental. I don't know if that's game day prep. I don't know if that's film study, if it's just mental toughness. I don't know what it is, but they have to show up with that and play with that for 40 minutes. Um, and on the Connecticut side, I completely agree with you. I, I think it's more about limiting Asia's touches. You can't, once she gets the ball in her hand, she will be that last minute Asia Wilson MVP, take over the game, put the team on her back, win. And so I think it's more about keeping the ball out of her hands and have players not named Asia Wilson beat you if you're Connecticut. And, and let me jump in on that, Chantel, because I, I totally agree. And I, and I think one of the obvious concerns, well, let me say this. Yes, limiting Asia Wilson in her touches. Here's one area that I think they must, they must limit her is on her rebounds. To me, this game is going to come down to who has the rebounding advantage. In the last game, um, you know, Las Vegas did end up winning despite being minus one rebounding. I don't think that ever happens again. Can you take Asia Wilson or can you take one player out of the rebounding mix from Vegas? What they've done a nice job of. I mean, Derek Hamby only had one rebound um, in that last game. But I, I think keeping her activity, limiting her activity of Asia Wilson is also another way that you can slow her down if you can't necessarily keep the ball out of her hands. And I think there's been a lot of focus on the fact that you know, this isn't a team that shoots a ton of threes, but they make a few every game, and that forces defenses to be a little bit more honest on them. The place where they really struggled in game one was the mid-range game. From 15 to 19 feet, they shot 10%. Like, that is not a Bill Lambier team. You're normally shooting about 50% there. And so if you're normally picking up 10 to 12 points in that range, and then suddenly you're only picking up two, that gets to you. And I think part of their ability to make their offense go, open up the paint, and letting Asia be herself is having success in that mid-range game, which they just didn't have in game one. Ladies, I think one of the things that have been overlooked is the play of Angel McCautry. Like, I feel like I need a little bit more from her um, in this series. And I think that in order for Las Vegas to, you know, really show that Vegas that you're, you know, alluding to LaChina, you've got to get her more involved. I and mean, when you've got Angel giving you 20, 25 points, um, 
but that you would think that 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 is enough, you know, in itself to help put that team over the edge. So I'm looking forward to uh, a great game three. However, there's another matchup, and this uh, matchup is very interesting, which is the Minnesota Lynx and the Seattle Storm. Um, they will be facing off in game two of their semifinal series. And the first question that I have, and you mentioned this, LaChina, is that they did not, you know, you don't think that they have shown who they really are uh, in game one, that they came out, you know, kind of rusted. And I'm wondering, is that a concern? Because this is, you know, a Minnesota team that knows how to capitalize um, on someone else's not bringing their A game 100% the first time around. Um, Nafisa Collier, uh, Crystal Dangerfield, they are not going to take their foot off the gas and Cheryl Reeve is not going to let them. Are you a little bit concerned um, at how close game one was considering all the weapons that Seattle has and what we may have expected them to look like? Uh, a big part of me, Sarika, says Minnesota needed to win that game. You know, like a big part of my – in my heart, I feel like that was an opportunity for them to really set the tone because I don't know if Seattle's going to come out the way they did in game one. And credit to Minnesota. They've been a solid defensive team all year. They have a way of taking away your tendencies. They're not like a gaudy def- – like they're not going to – block your shot and make a ton of noise. Nafisa Collier was the best defensive player on the floor the other night. But, um, and also with Alicia Clark, the way that she took Dangerfield out of the game. But I don't know that you're going to get that again from Seattle. Like, I thought the key for Minnesota was they limited their turnovers. I mean, God, they cut their turnovers way back from what they were averaging against Seattle in the regular season. That's what gave them a chance. But is Bridget Carlson going to come out? It hit a few threes and give you a cushion the way she did. Like, that was kind of a surprise that I thought relaxed Minnesota. They didn't have to work extremely hard for that offense. They just made really good passes, spread the floor, did the little things. But it, it was like, okay, kind of put them at ease, it seemed like. And so, I, I don't know. I feel like Minnesota missed an opportunity. However, if Crystal Dangerfield can find a way to be a presence – that will be the difference. That will give to me, Minnesota, an X factor that they will need against a Seattle team that may not be sleeping the way that they were coming out of that first game. And I think it'll be interesting to watch specifically Crystal Dangerfield because this is this is a new environment for her. Playoff WNBA basketball is something she hasn't done before. And we've seen her rise to the occasion before. Uh, in that second round game, though, it was Odyssey Sims who kind of took her aside at halftime and gave her that energy and said, you know, like, just settle in. And Cheryl Reeve is telling her, just keep shooting. You're 0 of 6. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to be 0 of 7. Just keep going, keep going. So I think the fact that she has the confidence from her team and her coaching staff, she's not looking over her shoulder, waiting to be pulled out. Um, she has the setup that's allowing her to have an excellent rookie season in the playoffs. I think she just needs to take advantage of that moment. And maybe that's Odyssey doing something today that we don't even see sort of ahead of the game, getting her to get into that rhythm earlier. Because like you said, I don't think Seattle's going to come out sleeping again. And there aren't very many teams left in this playoff that Crystal can wait to show up for in the fourth quarter. It's just, that doesn't happen. No, and it's and, and, and not seeing Seattle at full strength did make me take a step back. Now, they had been through a lot emotionally, um, you know, over the, the previous 48 hours after the inconclusive test and all of that. So you, you factor that in. But there was a couple just turnovers, miscues. Suber got a little foul trouble, just things you usually don't see. Um, but I will say this. <laughs> all that aside, you got to box out. Like, Alicia Clark barely had to jump for that rebound. 
One point that I did not get to make on the broadcast that I, that I thought about afterwards about that, that offensive rebound and put back by Clark. Seattle was the only team that knew where that shot was coming from. Very smart on Gary Kloppenberg to make a substitution, put Sammy Wickham in the game, and then give Sammy Wickham the final shot. We were all like, wait, is Wickham getting ready to take this all the way to the hoop? Like, took it all the way in. And Seattle knew that was a part of their game plan. And when you know where the rebound is coming from, you can get in position to grab it. No one from Minnesota knew where that was coming from. They were shocked. They were probably a little bit discombobulated. Like, wait, Sammy Wickham was about to take – we got Juloy, you got Sue Bird, you got Brianna Stewart, Sammy Wickham. Love Sammy Wickham, but she's going to take the final shot. I thought that that messed Minnesota up. And then Alicia Clark took advantage of it. That I think it goes back to the, 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 the conversation about uh, defending, right? Because you're talking about you got to box out, but when you got Alicia Clark on the box, like, really, the way that she defends the ball, that's not an easy task for most people to say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to box out Alicia Clark, sure. Like, no, she's going to get in and make sure that she's a presence down low. So it made sense that it was very smart to have her be the one to grab the offensive board. You were saying, Chantel, I'm sorry. No, I mean, I think that's just kind of the player she is. She's She picks up those things. She makes them move in ways that maybe aren't the Jewel Lloyd buzzer-beating three-pointer, but she makes things happen for them in small ways. And that board was obviously – it's a small effort play, but she was there and she did it for her team. And I think that's the kind of player she is. She deserved that moment because she doesn't get the spotlight very often. She did. I think Sue Bird hugging her after that game was like – most precious I mean, thing you Sue almost Sue was holding on to her like she was the last lollipop at the candy store. I mean, she was squeezing all the air out of Alicia Clark. It was adorable. Oh, look like her AC, like let her breathe. Don't, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, yeah, we need her. Y'all need her okay. for the next game to play defense. <laughs> right. Well, we will wrap up our semifinals talk here and just really quickly, um, before we let you go, Chantel, I need to know. Um, final prediction. So who do you see um, coming out of these series heading into the WNBA finals? I don't think the Storm are going to come out slow again. I think they've learned their lesson. I think they pick up three straight wins at this point. The opportunity for Minnesota was there. I think they needed to win that game. The Storm was slow on rotations. It allowed Minnesota to heat up from the outside for Bridget Carlton to have that great performance. I don't think that happens again. So I think I think Seattle makes it out of this series in four. Other side, I th it's hard to say, right? Because what version of the Aces is going to show up? Game one, game two, first half, game two, second half. But I think how Asia Wilson ended this, I think Connecticut picks up one more win, but I think the Aces get out of it in five. So we'll see an Aces storm final. Ooh, ooh interesting, Chantel. I'm going to have to agree. Um, you know, I think a couple things. If Connecticut can continue to shoot the three well and give themselves some balance, that's going to cause Vegas some trouble. If Alyssa Thomas is able to come back and play 20-plus per minute per game, that's going to give Vegas a problem. But at the end of the day, I do believe in Las Vegas' style of basketball. The way that they can get into transition, get to the free throw line, um, the confidence to which we've seen Jackie Young start to play with. We've seen Hamby much better. We know Angel McCautry is one of the all-time leading playoff scorers in WNBA history. Like, this team has more to give. And if they dig deep, they'll find it. And they will play Seattle Storm in the finals. That's what I'm, that's what I'm expecting to happen. But – no disrespect, CT. 
would not be shocked if Connecticut came out of it, but I'm picking Vegas. Well, all of y'all are wrong. I know Tariq is not happy. Connecticut in five, y'all are all tripping. <laughs> I think the thing that people, if you haven't really followed the WNBA very closely, they're thinking like, oh my gosh, Connecticut's a seven seed. And you think if this were a 36 game season, there's no way Connecticut's a seven seed. When they turned, they, they got hurt by the fact that they started the season one and six and that put them behind the eight ball and they had to claw their way out of it. And I think the fact that they did claw their way out of it says way more about them than the fact that there's, if it were 36, yeah, I agree. What a turnaround. We had more time. They might have got the number one seed. We had 10, 11 more games left, Chantel, the way they were playing. But I totally agree with you. You know, I just think, what a, what a, what a season for the Sun. And they're playing right at the right time. And let me just say this. Kurt Miller is an amazing coach. Let's start to give that man his flowers now because he is an incredible coach. You put him on the coach of any team in this league, and they're, they're going to be better. Like, he's, he's really good at what he does, period, point blank. And so let's not forget about the coaching matchup, too, because that's important. Absolutely. Well, ladies, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited about moving forward in our postseason. Chantel, before we get out of here, can you please tell our fans where they can find you? I'm over at The Athletic. They can check that out, theathletic.com, where you can find me on Twitter at, at Chantel Jennings. All righty. Well, thank you guys. This was so fun. We appreciate you joining us. Fans, thank you so much for joining this week's Around the Rim. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod. You can find me at Chino Sports underscore. You can find LaChina at LaChina Robinson. Um, big, big, big thank you to Chantel Jennings of The Athletic for joining us. We are hoping that she'll be able to join us again later on for more women's basketball talk. And before we get out of here, um, we just want to send our love and prayers to all of those who have recently been affected um, by what's happening in Louisville, Kentucky, by the decision that was um, sent down yesterday um, regarding the murder of Breonna Taylor. We are all hurting. We are all disgusted. We are all upset. Um, but we are all in this together. We are all coming together to find a way to bring justice to her life, to her name. She is valued. Everyone who has the pain that comes along with lives being lost due to police brutality, we are here with you. We are in this fight together. And it saddens us that we are in a country, in a place, and in a time where it seems that Black lives don't matter, where we are forced every day to be disrespected, where we are forced every day to feel less than. Um, but we will absolutely get through this, and we will do so together. And so I want to say to everyone listening to please, please register to vote. Please encourage those you know to register to vote. Things change when laws change. And we have so much power in our vote to make the change that we want to see. So please, please register to vote. And let's just continue to stay prayed up. Let's just continue to show love and support to each other. And let's continue to show respect to each other in this trying time. Thanks again, guys. We'll talk to y'all later.
Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.